This will work. Oh. There we go. It always helps that people smarter than you running things. They will let you know when you've done something wrong. More better. <laughs> so, again, thank you guys for joining with us today. Uh, I'm grateful you would be here on this uh, warm day, but we've got a breeze going, and I'm grateful for that. My name is Walter. I will be speaking today, and uh, I want to remind you guys of a few things when we get started. Uh, first and foremost, uh, typically, we would uh, take up our tithes and offerings during this time. Uh, with the current uh, health concerns, we're going to give you guys a couple options with that. One, you're able to give online, as always. But two, after the service, you'll see our deacons standing up. They'll have baskets. You can drop those in if you've got check, cash, etc. if you'd like to give. I certainly want you to have those options there. Also, want to let you know if you're a guest with us, we'd love for you to fill out a connection card. We've got a welcome table right over here with some gifts for you guys and other items we'd love to put in your hands. If this is your first time with us, uh, maybe you've been here and we haven't had a chance to meet you, I want to see you guys after service, chat with you, and get to, get to know you, just see what God is doing in your life. Uh, as we begin, uh, we will typically stand and read uh, of our text today. We are going to be in James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. Uh, if you guys would, would you stand with me as we read God's word together? Beginning in chapter 3, verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to also bridle his whole body. If we put bits in the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staying the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed, and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we curse our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. If you would, would you go to the Lord in prayer with me? Father, we are grateful for you today. We're thankful for the wisdom you give us in the scriptures. We're thankful that you have seen fit to teach us and to show us the way we're to live through the book of James. As we continue in this sermon series, studying from James chapter 3, I pray that you convict us where conviction is needed. May you lead us to repentance where repentance is needed. And may we strive to live like Christ in everything we do, both in word and deed, so that the world may see, hear, and respond to the glory of your name. Father, be with us as we study the scriptures today. Let us learn diligently. May you bless our time together. Thank you for the things you've done for us. We pray these things in your name. So you may be seated. Uh, as we begin, uh, we are looking at this concept of the tongue, of language and speech. 
And as you are perhaps well aware, having lived life on this earth, uh, one of the things that you have seen is that there is power to be found in the tongue. There is power to be found in your language and the things that you say. Uh, perhaps a silly example, if you will, is uh, our son Perry. They're going to fix that, I promise. It'll be better. Just know that I'm making it worse by doing anything up here. So don't fix this. So Perry and I were having a conversation the other day, and, and Kelly was talking to him as well, and we were talking about his best friend. And we just asked him about his best friends this past year in school and just some of the experiences he had. And he's got a few boys that he says are his best friend in class. And this is really cool and good. And in that time, we also wanted to remind him of his first best friend. Uh, you see, when Perry began preschool, uh, he had a young man in his class named Noah. Noah was uh, pretty much the matching pair to Perry's life. Everything Perry liked, Noah loved too. Everything Perry was good at, Noah was good at too. I mean, just two peas in a pod, if you can imagine. And just these two boys who could run with each other and do everything. And Perry, one day, told Kelly that his best friend was Noah. Now, to give you some context and understanding there, this is when Perry was about four years old. Uh, his best friend up at that time, and Kelly will swear to this, was her. That she would have told you that whenever she had asked that question... Who his best friend is, it was going to be her. One of the great things about having a little boy is that he loves his mom, right? Little boys love their mom. And Perry in particular loved his mama. His best friend was Kelly. And on that day when he said, my best friend is Noah, I don't know if you've ever seen a balloon deflate, but that's how it described Kelly. I mean, it was just like air went out of her tears in her eyes. I mean, it was perhaps one of the worst days of her life. That Perry would say, I've got another best friend. I've got someone else who is my BFF who's going to help me get through this life. Now, I know that sounds a little bit silly, right? That, that she would just be deflated by this. And if you're a parent, you probably have been in these shoes. But I want you to see just the power that Perry's words had there, right? Three simple words when she asked who his best friend was. He just said, best friend Noah. Three simple words was all it took to wreck her, to, to hurt her in that moment. Three simple words from a four-year-old had the power to change her entire day. And we keep it. If a four-year-old can bring such power from three little words, what power can you and I bring from the words and the speech we have each and every day? That if we're honest with each other, we recognize that we have the capability and the ability to wreak havoc with our words. That we've all spoken harshly to people. We've all spoken unkindly to people. What's worse is that we've had that return to us. And what James would have us see here is that the power we have of the tongue is to be used for God's glory and honor. That, in fact, the things we say and do will actually reflect what's inside our hearts. And so if you would, as we look at these scriptures today, I hope that you'll see the power that we have. And as we look, beginning in verse 1, I'm going to focus in on this first concept, that the tongue has power to direct our lives. The tongue has power to direct our lives. Look with me at verse 1. Now, many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with many strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, 
also able to bridle his whole body. So James begins this passage speaking specifically to people who would want to be teachers. Perhaps there are a lot of people in the, in the early churches that he's writing to that want to be teachers. But he's beginning with this idea that, hey, not many of you should be teachers. And he says that you're going to be judged with a greater strictness. Now, I know you might be thinking, well, hey, I'm not a teacher. This doesn't apply to me. But you need to hear what James is saying here. He's giving us some context here. As we start thinking about this idea of teaching, he says they're going to be a judge with a greater strictness because there is a greater weight on what teachers do. That as we're thinking about the tongue has power to direct lives, the things that I say up here have the power to direct you and your paths, right? The things that I say and speak up here will direct you and guide you. You hear me say things, you go, well, Walter loves Jesus. He knows the scriptures. Therefore, this must be accurate. I need to walk in this path. I'm sure you can feel the tension there already of the weight, the responsibility. James begins with this idea that not many should be teachers because there's a greater weight and emphasis on what you say. That he knows that a reckless tongue can do more harm than good. And that's exacerbated when you have people who are in front teaching with reckless tongues. And so he gives us this warning that teachers will be judged with a greater strictness. Now, as he talks about this greater strictness, his reasoning behind that is that we all stumble in many ways. Let's let you guys in on a secret. You're probably already understanding this. You may be aware of this, but none of us are perfect. I know that perhaps you're looking at your spouse and thinking, you could have fooled me. But not a one of us is perfect. That we've all fallen short of the glory of God. That we have lived lives that include mistakes that would be even to the extent of sin. That we have all fallen short of the glory of God. Now, all we have to do is just simply live our lives on a day-to-day -day basis and listen to the things that we say. And we'll recognize that we are not perfect. We'll recognize the things we say have power to influence and direct the path of people. Just last night, we had an insight into this in my own life. I'll let you know uh, my own shortcomings and failings. We had pizza night last night and made this great pan pizza. I was getting it out of the oven and was trying to cut this pizza. And we have a pizza cutter that I will assure you is the worst pizza cutter on the face of this earth. <laughs> I promise you it's the worst one you've ever used, or at least that's my opinion on it. After trying to use it last night, I promise you I could not cut this pizza. And in the midst of cutting this, in the frustration of it, I threw the pizza cutter down. And Kelly's in there going, what's wrong? I was like, this pizza cutter stinks. It's a piece of junk. We should have bought a good one. And Kelly's response is, you were with me when we bought that. <laughs> our words have the power to direct our lives. Our words have the ability to show us the way to go. My anger and frustration over a silly pizza cutter came out last night, and my words then led me to express that in action. Rather than saying, this pizza cutter stinks, let me get something else. I then led to throwing it down on the stove and saying, we need to find something else. It's terrible. Woe is me. You see, it is this ability to stumble that James is concerned about. It's this ability to let our speech lead us that James is addressing. He even tells us here, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. Let me break that down for you in a version that I can understand. If you can control your speech perfectly, you're a perfect person able to control yourself in every other way. 
that that is how hard, how difficult it is to control our language. That is how hard it is to direct our speech. He said, if you control your speech perfectly, you're a perfect person. You won't struggle with any other sin or issues. You are a perfect person. And I think each one of us, if we are honest with each other, would examine our lives and say, I'm certainly not a perfect person. That if I'm looking primarily at speech alone, raise your hand if you think that you speak perfectly to the glory of God in all things and all ways. I won't pause very long because I know none of your hands are going up. I wouldn't dare raise my hand in that because I know what lives within my own heart. Now James continues and gives us some further warning about the power of the tongue to direct our lives. He says in verse 3, If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. I want to focus on these two analogies because I think it gives us some understanding. He says, if you can put a bit in the horse's mouth and use it to direct them, it will guide them. If you've ever seen a bit from a horse, they're about five to six inches long, less than a half inch wide. And that small piece of metal directs a horse that's hundreds of pounds, hundreds of pounds of muscle and power. Perhaps a further illustration, one that I was fascinated by and I was studying for this, is the idea of a rudder guiding a ship. I started looking at what are some of the largest ships that we can put out in the ocean today. Uh, currently, one of the largest ships you can put out there is an aircraft carrier. That an aircraft carrier, I've been doing a little research, and I know I've got some Navy guys here, so please forgive me if I get some of the terminology wrong. But the research I've been looking at, aircraft carrier is a quarter of a mile long. And you say, Walter, that's not very big. That's the height of the Empire State Building. And having been to the top of that, that's plenty big, let me assure you. A quarter mile long. That an aircraft carrier sits over 20 stories above the height of the water. 20 stories high. That the actual landing area on top of it is 4.3 acres of landing strip on top. This is a massive vessel, right? I mean, it's huge, displacing hundreds of tons. Do you know that this massive ship, one of the peak of our shipbuilding capabilities, is directed by two rudders, roughly the size of three cars. Three cars side to side, that's the size of one of those rudders. And two of those direct this ship a quarter mile long, hundreds of tons. What we see here is that the tongue is a mighty member of the body. The tongue has great power to direct us. Though it is small, it has weight. You see, James will warn us, as Solomon does in Proverbs 18.21, that death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. That it has the ability to direct us and guide us. That what we say then becomes what we act upon. As if that's not bad enough, the truth is that the things we say are found actually within us. You see, Jesus would tell us in Matthew 12, 34, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You see, though the tongue has power to direct, it is not directing independently 
on its own. It is actually reflecting the things of our heart. The reason the tongue is able to direct our actions is because that's found in our heart. The reason the tongue has such power is because it's reflecting what is found inside of us. When we speak in anger, that's because anger dwells within us. We speak in frustration, that's because frustration dwells within us. When we speak in pain, that's because there is pain found inside of us. That let's make no mistake, the things that come out of our mouth are the things that are found inside of us. And so that is why James is putting such an emphasis on the power of the tongue to direct. Because the tongue is directing us, yes, but it is merely reflecting what is found in our heart. I want you to hear this today because here's the, the temptation that we're all going to have. Our temptation after today is going to be simply to walk away and say, I'm going to mind my tongue. I'm going to watch my language. I'm going to practice behavior modification. I'm going to keep from saying these things that are sinful or wrong. I'm going to keep my mouth shut when I might say otherwise. And what I want you to know is that is putting band, a band-aid on cancer. Nothing's going to remove that other than surgery. And that surgery is going to be us examining our hearts, looking in at the deepest recesses of our heart, soul, and mind, and recognizing that the things that come out are reflective of what's in here. And if the things that we say and do are not reflective of the things of Christ, then that means the things of Christ need to take greater foothold in our hearts. And so as James has given us this word, he is letting us know that the tongue has power to direct our entire life, but only because it's found, directing from what's found inside. Now, as if that's not dangerous enough, perhaps you're, you're thinking, well, this is, this is a challenge already. We see that he continues and he tells us that the tongue has the power to destroy. Look with me at verse 5. So also the tongue is a small member Yet it boasts of great things. How great a force to set ablaze by such a small fire. I just want to stop right here and just kind of begin to reflect on this idea. The tongue has power to destroy. Yeah, I, I don't know if you guys have uh, ever seen uh, forest land after a wildfires come through. But it's a bleak, burnt area. You know, you've probably seen images uh, on the news and other things of wildfires running through places like California and other locations. That a small spark, a cigarette carelessly thrown, a, a, a fire not properly put out, can light a blaze that can destroy hundreds of thousands of acres. A small spark can light a blaze. You all have heard of Smokey the Bear. Only you can prevent forest fires, right? Smokey's quite concerned about that. But here's the truth of it, that even a small ember can start a blaze burning in the right condition. Even a small ember can set a forest ablaze. James is reminding us of this fundamental truth, that though the tongue is a small member, it boasts of great things. There is great power to be found in our speech. There is great power that is found in the things we say. Jesus would even tell us that you know, with great power comes great responsibility. Well, that's Uncle Ben, who's paraphrasing Jesus. Too much who's give, is given, much is expected. What he's telling us 
is that our tongue has the ability to breathe life and death simultaneously. We're image bearers of God. We have the same power He has to create and empower in others' lives. And we can use that power to destroy or to restore. Now, James right now is concerned about our ability to destroy. Because as we look at our lives, the human default mode is to lead into sin. It's to destroy when left to our own devices. How do I know that? Verse 6. The tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, standing the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. He compares the tongue to a fire, to a world of unrighteousness. That it exists and set among our, our members, our body, staining the entire body. That our tongue has the ability to corrupt our lives. It has the power to corrupt other lives. The things we say and do can have a great impact and on others' lives. Perhaps you, like me, had this phrase said to you when you were younger. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. What idiot came up with that? What moron thought that was wise? Because here's the truth. Many of us have had physical ailments that we have forgotten about the pain and hurt from this. <clears throat> we've broken bones. We've had strains. Those, that pain doesn't come to mind. But we can still remember the harsh language that someone had for us when we were in elementary school. We can remember the cruel taunts from the playground in our younger days. We remember with crystal clear clarity the harsh words that a loved one had for us. I assure you, whoever came up with that statement was absolutely a moron. Because here's the thing about that. We carry the weight and pain of the words that we have because of the power they have. The power of our words has the ability to sit with us for the rest of our lives. If maybe you don't believe that, let's just reflect upon the harsh things you have said to you. I wouldn't have to do much prompting. I wouldn't have to ask you to raise your hand if you could remember a time someone said something that hurts you to the bone. I wouldn't have to have a lot of time laid out there if I had you say, tell me about the worst things that were said to you. You'd give them to me pretty quickly. There is great power to be found in our tongue. Great power. And James is concerned about us using that power to destroy. James will tell us that ultimately there is wisdom to be found in taming our tongue. Look at verse 7. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed. It has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. James tells us that there is every kind of beast that can be tamed. If you've ever gone somewhere like Riverbank Zoo, uh, we love going to Riverbanks. It's a great place. You get in, you get to walk on the kangaroo path. You get to see the seals. You get to see the lions and the monkeys. And there are all kinds of cool stuff there. You can see the giraffe. It's a great experience. And what we forget is that there's a wild animal that you get off the kangaroo path, one of them will drop the if you were to jump in the lion pit, he will show you why he's king of the jungle. That, that we forget that these are wild animals that are restless and dangerous. 
And, and James would tell us that you can tame those more easily than you can tame the human tongue. Can you imagine over here trying to tame a lion? You think about the struggles and the fear you would have with that. And James would say, it would be easier to tame a lion than to tame a human tongue. In fact, he tells us no human being can tame the tongue. What he's pointing to is this reality that we as people who have been redeemed by God when we become believers are still sinful people. We are not perfect. We fall short of the glory of God. And you can bet your bottom dollar that we will say things that are not reflective of the goodness of God. All you have to do is follow us around with a camera and there'll be proof of it. And every one of us is fully aware of our own sinfulness and our own depravity there. That this is something that we cannot reason our way out of, that we cannot explain away. Each and every one of us struggles with our language. Each and every one of us struggles to maintain Christ-like integrity in our language. Solomon, again, from Proverbs 17, 27 says, Whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. You see, the scriptures tell us, they scream to us, that restraining the tongue is a mark of godliness and Christ-likeness. That being able to control your temper, to control your emotions, and to allow the things you say to be reflective of the glory of God is a mark of Christ and his work in our lives. I want to be very clear as we're saying these things that I recognize we're painting a very bleak picture about our power to use our tongue. But James is making it very clear that there is power that God has given us to destroy or to restore. And we can use our tongue to destroy. It's in fact easier to do that. To speak carelessly and recklessly. To speak in a way that's not reflective of Christ's glory. It is much harder and it is much more fruitful to speak in a way that provides restoration. That provides life. The weight of what we're seeing here is ultimately found on our inner character. The things we say and do are reflective of an inner thing. And what I want you to hear today is if you're saying, hey, my speech isn't perfect, my language isn't right, the things I'm saying would not exalt Christ, then what I want you to hear, that's because the things that are in your heart do not exalt Christ. The language and the things that are found in your heart are not in the gospel. That if you are a Christian who is walking in faith with Christ, you will see an upward trajectory of your life and your language changing. That you can say, my life and word and deed is different today than it was yesterday or six months ago. If there is no difference, then we have to examine what's actually happening in your heart. Now, I've talked much about the ability to destroy here, the weight, the power that the tongue has. James also gives us some encouragement here because our tongue, as I said, has power to restore, has the ability to bring life. Look with me in verse 9. With it, referring to our tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing, my brothers, 
These things ought not to be said. We have James beginning here in this last portion of this discourse. He's telling us that with our tongue, we have the ability to bless God. We have the ability to say things that will bring honor and glory to his name. We also have the ability to curse him. To say things that would not bring honor and glory to his name. That, in fact, the things we say and do uh, as we speak to other people, we tend to forget we're speaking to people that are created in his image. That have dignity and value. The things that we say to them are reflective of what we believe about them. And James says, from the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brother, these things ought not to be said. You see, the weight of what James is telling us is that our tongue, our language, has the power to restore. What God intended for us in our speech and our conduct is that we would use our words to bring life to other people. That we would use our words in such a way that people would be encouraged and strengthened. That we would use our words so they walk away knowing that they had value in the image of God. They had value in the sight of God. That James would direct us that the way to use our language is to encourage and strengthen others. Now as we think about that, that weight, that responsibility there, that's such a remarkable contrast to what he's been telling us. Our tongues have the power to destroy, and it's so easy to follow in that path. Yet James is saying the proper way to use it is to encourage. One of the things that I always try to do when I'm counseling people who are in conflict, when I'm thinking through how do I engage in conflict, is that I want to recognize that conflict is not necessarily bad. Conflict doesn't have to be ugly. That the reality of it is that if I'm striving to speak life with my words, to encourage and strengthen the other person that I'm in conflict with, we can resolve this in a healthy, Christ-honoring way. That if my goal is to understand, to encourage, and to recognize we may perhaps agree to disagree, we can speak in a way that brings life to one another. Think about this when you're in conflict with your spouse or your children, right? That I found that those we are closest with are the ones that most commonly see our struggles. They're the ones who are most well aware we are not perfect. Even in those interactions with your spouse and your children, there is opportunity for you, rather than to condemn and to destroy, to encourage and speak life. Rather than say, you always do this or you can't do that, you could say, I think that you do this. Why? I feel like this. Why do I feel that? I'm concerned that you do that. Why? It may not sound like much, but what we are striving to do there is to have conflict, to have conversation, to use our tongue in a way that encourages and strengthens. Rather than coming out and swinging for the fences with, you are a horrible, broken, sinful person, and you're a disaster of a human being. We then lead off with these. That's all probably true. But by the grace of God, okay. by the grace of God, I would do the same thing if it wasn't for His Spirit living inside me. 
By the grace of God, I am not walking in this path. The tongue has the power to restore. James concludes with this closing illustration. Does not a stream pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. And James is concluding here. He's pointing us to this reality that what comes out of our mouth is reflective of what's inside our heart. And as he gives these illustrations, he's saying that the things that are good cannot come out with the things that are bad if what's inside. Good. Look at this. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? If you could find a stream that has fresh and salt water coming out of it at the same time, in the same location, you would say, one, this is a miracle. And two, guess what? That fresh water is useless because the salt water has mingled with it. It's now undrinkable. It's not usable. Can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? No. A fig tree produces figs. It cannot produce olives. A grapevine must produce produce grapes, not figs. Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. What we see being pictured here and explained from James is the reality that as we look at these things, that our actions, words, and deeds must reflect within our heart. The truth of it is, if the things we say and do do not line up with the things of Christ, what's inside of our heart does not line up with the things of Christ. James will have us here very clearly that these cannot coexist. If evil is coming out, then evil dwells inside. That there's no disputing the notion. That what comes out is found inside. And as we hear these words, we wrestle with these truths. We hear and trust in this statement from James earlier. That no human being can pay the cost. We feel that weight. We know the weight of the power that our tongue has. It has power to destroy, power to restore, the power to direct our lives. It has a power to wreak havoc around the world. Simply watch the news, you'll see the power of the tongue. That there is great power to be found in our language. And for us as followers of Christ, we have to feel that way. We have to understand the power that is there and strive to use it in a way that brings honor and glory to God. To speak in a way that is reflective of the grace that he has shown us, the change that he has made in our own hearts and lives. Rudolf Faultman says this in terms of thinking about New Testament ethics. As he's thinking about this idea of how do you live out the truth of the gospel? I think that the New Testament would agree with this. He says, how do you live out the truth of the gospel? How do you live this life to reflect the glory of God? He says this, very simply. Be who you are. He says, be who you are. If Christ has redeemed you, if he has come into your life and changed your heart for the better, if he has made you a new creation, If the old is gone and the new has come, 
and live that life. Do as Galatians 5, 1 would tell us. Do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. For freedom, Christ has set you free. Amen. That plain and simple, the New Testament would tell us that to walk with Christ and to live your life, to live so in a way that brings honor and glory, simply be who you are. And as a follower of Christ, all we're called to do is be who Christ has made us. The converse of that is true as well. That if you're looking at your life, if you're examining your, your speech, your conduct, your actions, and you say, I don't like what I see. I, I don't like what I see. The things I say are not exalting Christ. The things that I'm doing are not making much of his name. The fact that the things that I say and do are not very reflective of the glory of God. That what I believe Paul and James and the writers of the New Testament will tell you, what I believe Rudolf Bultmann will tell you is, if you don't like who you are, then change. If you don't like who you are, then change. We rest in this truth found in 1 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, he made him who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That if you're here today and you're saying the things I say and do are not reflective of the goodness of God. I think God might, may not be very pleased with the things that I'm saying and doing. Then change. And the way we change, the way we know that there's power to change is because of this verse. For our sake, he, God, made.